All right, if your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalms, chapter 35. Psalm 35. Psalm 35, and as you're turning there, uh, tonight we have a, it's a, I, I call it a fold prayer. We went to a preacher's fellowship yesterday, and uh, one of the preachers said, man, I'm so bad at titles, I thought about just numbering my, uh, my, my messages, and I thought, man, that's a really, I should really do that, and so, <laughs> but I didn't. I thought, well, we'll stick with titles, and, uh, and uh, uh, I don't know that I'm the greatest of titles, but uh, uh, nonetheless, I, I try and come up with one at least every time. Psalm 35 and verse number 1. And we'll start there. We'll not read the whole psalm because of the length, but uh, we'll read the first 10 verses here. The Bible says this, Psalm 35 and verse 1. Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. Let them be as chaff before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their, let their way be dark and slippery and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. For without cause have they hid from me or for me their net in a pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul. Let destruction come upon him at unawares, and let his net that he hath hid catch himself. Into that very destruction let him fall. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like unto thee, which deliverest the poor from him that is too strong for him? Yea, the poor and needy from him that spoileth him. Let's stop right there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, for the privilege that we have to be in your house on a, uh, on a Wednesday night in the middle of the week. Father, I pray that you would encourage. I pray, I pray that you would refresh. God, I pray that you would uh, speak through me and you'd use me and use your word, Father, and we'll thank you for that. God, will give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this psalm, uh, there's a threefold prayer. Uh, and, and listen, that's not uncommon in Scripture to find uh, prayers that are repeated or given in three different times. After all, Jesus did pray in the garden three different times. Remember that? Uh, when he went with his disciples and, uh, and he said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Uh, and it was Paul who prayed to be delivered of his thorn in the flesh. Uh, he said, hey, I, I've got this thorn in the flesh. And, uh, and he said, he prayed thrice that it would be removed from him. And you remember what the Lord answered him, of course. The Lord said, hey, my grace is sufficient for thee. And so sometimes the Lord just says, hey, I'm not going to remove that thorn in the flesh. I want you to learn to trust in me. 
And so we kind of have that same idea in this psalm of three, um, I don't know if you would call them prayers or, or maybe just sections, but nonetheless, I'm going to call them prayers for, uh, for the sake of argument tonight. But uh, this psalm notably divides itself into three portions, and each of those portions can be outlined identically. And uh, so rather than have prayer number one and preach the outline and then have prayer number two and preach the same outline to you and then have prayer number three and preach the outline a third time to you and you're like, I'm really, I'm, I'm already, I was done with this at the second point. And uh, so we won't do that this way tonight. But what we'll do is, um, is I, I took the one outline of all three prayers and we'll take it one point and we'll jump throughout the chapter where those apply to it. But let me give you this so that you kind of know how this chapter is broken up. Uh, the first prayer is, is very notable between verses 1 and 10. And so we have that's the first prayer there. Uh, and in that prayer, you can make an outline of 1, 2, and 3, and we'll cover those in a minute. But then the second prayer is verses 11 through 18. And, uh, and again, that outline will be the same. It won't be the same verses, obviously, but the points will all be the same. And then the third prayer is verses 19 through 28. There's a lot of similarities. These each contain, they contain first and foremost, a plea for consideration. The second thing they contain is a prayer for condemnation. And the third thing that they contain is a promise of celebration. And so that's really our outline that we'll look at tonight. But each of those divisions uh, will contain each one of those. I hope I didn't uh, overword that and, and confuse everybody. I hope that was clear. Uh, but verses 1 through 10, 11 through, already done, forgot, 18, I think it was, uh, yes, 18 and 19 through 28 are the main divisions throughout this chapter. But let's look at the first thing, the plea for consideration. You can see it right here in verses 1 through 3. Uh, he says this, he says, plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. And you can see uh, David here as he's praying and he's saying, hey, Lord, hey, I want you to, uh, he says it in verse number two, he said, I want you to stand with me. I want you to plead my cause. I want you to be on my side and look at my circumstances. And David is crying out to the Lord. And, and, uh, and of course, uh, he takes his battle to the Lord. We see this over and over throughout the book of Psalms. This is not new to us as we study the book of Psalms, but really it's good for us to be often reminded of these things because honestly, I don't know about you, probably you're not, but I'm stubborn, okay? Uh, I'm sure that you're not, and I am. Uh, and I need reminded. Why? Because I'm one, I'm one to take up my own battles. I'm one, well, I'm gonna, man, I'm going to take care of this, you know. And I'm sure David at times in his life was like that. And he had to remind himself, hey, this is not a battle for me to take up and, and fight this in and of myself. But this is a battle that I need to take to the Lord and give it to him. And we need reminded of that. And so we see David uh, pleading his cause with God. And he asks him uh, to speak even on his behalf there in verse number one. I love how Spurgeon worded this. He said, vain is the help of man, but ever effectual is the interposition of heaven. Boy, that's good. Vain is the help of man, but 
ever, inter, ever effectual is the interposition of heaven. How many times we go uh, to somebody else and we'll ask for help. Uh, we say, man, I've got this battle. Will you help me? And I've got this problem. Will you help me? And I'm not saying it's wrong to go to other people for help. But what I am saying is, hey, the first place that we ought to turn to is God. Go to him. And, uh, and let the Lord know, hey, we're dealing with this. We're fighting through this battle or we've got this circumstance. And, and so David takes his cause to the Lord. And uh, not only that, but he, he says in verse number two there, take hold of shield and buckler and look at what he says, and stand up for mine help. And uh, he, in verse number two, in asking the Lord to stand with him, he, he's basically saying, hey, uh, here's my enemy, and I want you to put yourself between me and my enemy. That's where I want you to stand. Uh, I don't want you to just stand by my side. I want you to stand between us. You'll notice both of the things he says to take is a shield and a buckler. Well, what's a buckler? Uh, well, I looked it up because I knew you were going to ask. And a buckler is just a, a little shield. And so uh, sometimes the shield the, is a big shield that they would carry, but then a, a smaller shield around one. If you think of an archer, uh, you know, he'll carry a, a smaller shield that might go on his arm, but then he can still draw his bow and fire. And so it doesn't inhibit his movement, but he can still put it out in front. And so he's asking the Lord in verse number two, they're both defensive things. He says, take a shield, take a buckler and stand between me and my enemy because I I need your defense there. And so he's asking for the Lord's defense. He's asking for the Lord to stand between them. Then look at what he says in verse number three. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. And verse three saying, hey, draw the spear, go offensive. Uh, you know, make, make a show that, hey, uh, that, that we do have weapons and we're not afraid to fight back. We're not just all defensive with a shield and a buckler, but as well with the spear. And, uh, and so he's asking the Lord, hey, I want you to stand between me and mine enemy and I want you to do battle with them. Listen, there's no better thing that you could ask of the Lord than to be your defense, to be your offense, and to stand between you and your enemy. And so David is asking, especially in this first prayer, stand with me. Notice in the second prayer, in verse number 17, uh, as we think about the plea for consideration, he, he, in verse number 17 he says, Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destruction, my darlings from the lions. I love his word picture there, as you can kind of imagine, uh, his darling, something precious, something little, something that is not uh, able to defend itself from attacking lions that would come on and would be aggressive and would, uh, would not hesitate to rip something to shreds. And he's saying, God, uh, don't look on, don't just stand back and watch, but I want you to be involved and I want you to uh, take up my cause again. It's his plea for consideration, save me from the attack of mine enemy because he is coming on. Not only that, but look in the third prayer. Uh, again, his, is his plea for consideration in verse number 19. He says, let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. And, uh, and he's saying, hey, don't let them celebrate 
over me wrongfully. Uh, you know, if I, in other words, hey, uh, you know, don't let them be um, mocking me or, uh, you know, celebrating my demise if I'm wrongfully suffering and, and things like that. He says, hey, be careful of them. Uh, and watch out for them. Speak on my behalf. Don't allow that to go on. And he goes on in verse 22 through 25. He says this. This thou hast seen, O Lord. Keep not silence, O Lord. Be not far from me. Stir up thyself and awake to my judgment, even unto my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me, O Lord, my God, according to thy righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say with say in their hearts, ah, so would we have it. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice at mine hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. We're supposed to stop at verse 25 there. Uh, verse 26 goes on to the next idea. But he's saying, hey, speak up on my behalf. In other words, don't allow them just to mock me and make fun of me and, and glory at, my, uh, at my, the things that fall on me uh, and the things that go bad for me, uh, at my demise or at my imposition or uh, at things that, that would not work out for me. And so he's pleading with God and he's saying, hey, uh, not only stand with me, save me, but speak on my behalf. And, uh, and so he's asking that. Uh, David is asking this these three times. He's saying, hey, be with me. All of those pertain uh, to, to God considering where David is in his life. And he's saying, hey, pay attention. Uh, my enemies are after me, and, and they're going to attack me, and, uh, and, and, and they're, they're ridiculing me, and uh, he's just letting God know of those things. Now, I want you to notice not only his plea for consideration, but his prayer for condemnation. And we read these and we think, man, is that, is that very Christian? We'll get there in a minute. Um, but but let's, let's read these just for a moment. Uh, because look at here in verse number, in the first prayer that we notice, the, prayer of con, the part of the prayer of condemnation is verses 4 through 8. He says, let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Now that's not too bad to confound. Uh, I generally pray that uh, regularly. You know, on our prayer list, it says pray for our government and our government officials. Some of them, I pray that God will confound their minds and the, the things that they're putting out. Why? Because they're putting out wickedness. They're putting out things that are absolutely contrary to the word of God. I don't want that to prosper. I don't want that to be made into law. I want God to confound their thoughts, make it foolishness, make it not come to fruition and not, not be able to uh, pass and go into uh, legislation. And so David is saying there, uh, let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. He's praying that about his enemy that would come after him. He says, let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise 
my hurt. Verse number five, let them be as chaff before the wind. Let the angel of the Lord chase them. Verse number six, let their way be dark and slippery and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. Verse number seven, for without cause have they hid from me their net in a pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul. And verse eight, let destruction come upon him at unawares and let his net that that he hath hid catch himself into the, that very destruction, let him fall. And so he's praying. He's saying, hey, uh, they're, they're persecuting me. They're attacking me. They, without a cause, have set a net or set a trap to entrap me and take my life. And he's saying this. He's saying, hey, I don't want to be caught in that trap. Let him be caught in his own trap. Listen, you say, man, that's pretty bad. And he says, but even let them be destroyed. He's praying for them. And you think about that and you think, well, man, is that, is that even Christian? Go with me to Matthew chapter 18. Save your spot here in Psalms. We'll be back here. Matthew chapter 18. I want to show you a verse that Jesus was teaching. Matthew chapter number 18 and verse number 6. In Matthew chapter number 18, the, the, the disciples are talking about who's the greatest and, and a little child comes unto him and, and he starts to give the illustration that except you be converted as this little child, uh, then, then you will not see the kingdom of heaven. But he goes on in verse number six and he says this, he says, but whosoever, or excuse me, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Well, how does that feel with your Christianity? That doesn't fit very well either. We often think, well, Christianity is kind and love and God is kind and love. And Christianity, by and large, is kind and love. But I'm telling you, there are wicked people out there that would... I read this verse, if, if they offend one of these little ones. And I, today, in our day and age and society that we live in, where they're trying to confuse the minds of little children, whether they're male or female, and they're like, well, you don't really know, that's balderdash. The Bible tells us that God created man and female. Uh, the Bible's very clear on that. And, and so uh, I'm not saying we are to do anything about it because we are not. But I'm telling you this, Jesus Christ said it would be better if they had a millstone hung about their neck and be thrown into the sea to sink to the bottom. That's what Jesus said about them. And so I'm just saying that, hey, there are times when, when uh, if somebody is wicked and leading wickedness, I'm not talking about living wickedly. I'm talking about leading in wickedness. There's a big difference. And if they're, they're causing others uh, to, to lead a wicked and, and perverse and evil life that goes contrary to the word of God, then, yeah, I'm going to pray, God, take them out. They'd be better off destroyed than leading these other people astray. Um, and there are times when, hey, that is appropriate. 
And Jesus himself taught and said, hey, it would be better for them uh, that they would be drowned in the sea than to continue uh, in a life offending uh, those specifically, those who believe in God and, and are trying to follow God in their life. And listen, there's nothing more innocent than a, than a child's mind. And, uh, and boy, that just doesn't set well with me. And so we find here in the Word of God that that's, this is what David is praying. And he says in verse number 8, Let destruction come upon him at unawares. When I read about that net being hid back in Psalm 35, I'm reminded of, you can't help but read that and be reminded of the story of, um, of Esther. And I'm about to read, I finished up Nehemiah today, I'm about to uh, get into the book of Esther, and, and I love it because Haman absolutely hates Mordecai. And uh, matter of fact, the very night he goes back to his house, what does he do? He builds a big old gallows and he's going to convince the king to hang Mordecai on those gallows. And what takes place? You know the story if you've read it, if not, man, go back and read it. It's, 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 God has a sense of humor, we'll put it that way. Um, Haman ends up getting hanged on the gallows that he built. And I'm reminded of David praying, Lord, they're, they're setting a trap for me. And, and God, I would rather that they fall into their own net and they would be trapped by their own entrapment than that I should do something. And really, uh, there's a little bit of poetic justice there. And so I'm just saying that uh, David does pray that they would be confounded, and not just confounded, but even destroyed by their own entrapment. And, and listen, I'll be honest with you, that, that's probably a very appropriate prayer for much of the uh, people that are putting wicked legislation into our, into our government. Um, and so we see that. And I'm not saying that we go out and start a coup. None of that. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there's nothing wrong with praying that God will allow them to fall into their own hole that they dug and be destroyed by it. And so uh, understand that. Look with me in verse number 11 through 16. Not only do we see them confounded as he prays that they would be confounded and even destroyed in verse number 8. But the second prayer in verses 11 through 16, he says this. He says, false witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting and my prayer returned into mine own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother, I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. But in mine adversity, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and ceased not. With hypocritical mockers in feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth." He says here in verse, verses 11 through 16, he, he's praying that God would condemn their hypocritical spirit. He's saying, he's saying listen, they, they slandered me. They made things up about me and, and they were talking about me. And, and then he goes on, uh, not only did they lie against righteousness, and by the way, that's kind of a common thing. 
Um, it, it takes place over and over. Usually those that are living right. Uh, listen, the Bible says the, God, the godly shall suffer persecution. Many times those that are living right, boy, the world just hates that. I mean, it just, it, they can't stand it. And so they will, they will cast things in your face and try to accuse you of stuff. But it goes on, and, it, and David said in verses 13 and 14 that he didn't rejoice in their affliction. Boy, what a good lesson for us. Because sometimes uh, we can be fleshly, and man, I'm glad that God, God gave him the old one-two and took care of him. No, David said, I didn't rejoice in their calamity. I didn't rejoice in, in their affliction. I didn't rejoice in the problems that they had. I didn't take joy that God would, uh, would offer or give affliction to mine enemy. You'll notice that in verses 13 and 14. He says it very clear. We should not rejoice in the enemy's affliction. Um, notice this, though, he does say in verse 15 and 16 that he says, note that they mocked me. He says in verse 16, he's pretty clear, with hypocritical mockers in feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. In other words, they, I, didn't, I didn't joy in their problems, but they took great joy in my, my problems. Uh, they, took, they took great joy and mocked and ridiculed and were cruel when my problems came my way. And, uh, and so we see the, uh, he's asking God to condemn their hypocritical spirit. Not just that, but notice in verses 20 and 21, in the third prayer, uh, under the prayer for condemnation, we see this as well. He says in verse 20, For they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. Notice that. Yea, they opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, aha, our eye hath seen it. Look in verse 26. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice at mine hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. And he's saying, God, condemn their, their actions, their deceitful, uh, malicious mockery and, and hypocritical spirit that they have towards me. And so he's asking God to judge. Uh, he's praying for condemnation upon them uh, that are, are doing all of this for him. And so we can see that in each one of the prayers, uh, the condemnation that he's asking. We see the consideration in each one of the prayers that he asks. We see the condemnation. But we notice this as well. And that is the promise of celebration. Go with me to verse number 9. And I love these. These lay out very nicely. The Bible says in verse 9, and my soul shall be joyful, notice this, in the Lord. It shall rejoice in His salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like unto thee, which deliverest the poor from him that is too strong for him. Yea, the poor and the needy from him that spoileth him. We find the correct rejoicing in the promise of celebration. Again, he's rejoicing in the Lord. 
He's rejoicing that, uh, that God was good to him and that God took care of him. He's not rejoicing in the demise of his enemy. He's rejoicing in the salvation that God provided for him. And yes, there's a fine line between the two, but no doubt he mentions and he says, hey, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. That's what his joy, that's where his joy is in how good God has been to him. I'm reminded of the verse in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And so it says in the New Testament, hey, we're to rejoice in the Lord. I love verse 9, uh, verse 10, excuse me, because he, he notes there, uh, notice his humility in verse number 10. Who is like unto thee, which deliverest the poor from him that is too strong for him? David was not uh, trying to be uh, arrogant in here. He, he was not saying, well, I could have taken him, but I let you have him, Lord. No, no, he's saying, Lord, I'm weak and you're strong and I'm poor and I'm needy. And he recognized his own need for God and he humbled himself before God. What a, what, you read that, and to me, that's pretty amazing because this is David, the one uh, that, that, as a youth, he killed a lion, he killed a bear. As a young man, he killed Goliath. And I know he didn't do it in and of himself. I'm aware of that, that God strengthened him. But listen, there's a great temptation when you have a victory in your life to become very haughty and very arrogant and very proudful and think, man, look what I've accomplished and look what I've done. And here we see David reminding himself in his joy and in his celebration. He's saying, hey, Lord, I am nothing. Thank you for helping me. I'm poor and I'm needy and you saved me and I'm grateful. And we see the humility that David demonstrates in, verses 10, in verse number 10 there. Notice not just the correct rejoicing and praising the Lord, but I want you to notice in verse number 18, there's a congregational praise. He says in verse number 18, I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. In the congregation, he says, it's a good thing to give God honor and glory that he is deserving of publicly in the congregation. And I'm sure that David would go to the uh, whatever congregation that he, he had. And uh, I'm reminded of the time that, uh, you know, when, when all the debtors followed him and all the, uh, the wanted criminals and all the people gathered to him. But nonetheless, I'm sure he went to him and he said, listen, God saved me out of the hand of mine enemy. They mocked me. They, they persecuted me. They tried to get me. But God looked on poor me and saved me. And he gave praise in the congregation when, he, when God had done something for him and he publicly uh, gave praise to God. Not only that, but I love the Bible says, not just amongst the congregation, but it says there in verse number 18, the second part, I will praise thee among much people. Hey, listen, don't be ashamed of what God has done for you. And listen, I, let, me re, let me rephrase that. Don't be ashamed of how God saved you. And share that with people who don't know the Lord. Because they're going to look at your life and they're going to say, God saved him. 
And it's, it may take them a time or two. You may have to tell them more than once, uh, more than one different occasion and say, you know, well, I'm just thankful that God changed my life. Or, you know, maybe I'd be stuck in this boat or that boat or doing this or doing that. But God changed me and remind other people of that. Why? Because, listen, they need to hear that God has changed our lives, made us different. And, and we're not some great people. We're simply, uh, I've seen this, this phrase several times, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We're just people that are saved, that God has changed our life and let them know that he, can cha he changed my life, he can change their life. And David said, hey, I'm going to let much people know about God's goodness. Not only that, but I want you to notice this. We see correct rejoicing. We see congregational rejoicing. I want you to notice in verses 27 and 28, in the third prayer, we see the promise of celebration as well. He says, let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. I want you to notice in verse 27 how it says them and they and those that are uh, Praising Lord. And listen, it's not just correct rejoicing. It's not just a congregation of rejoicing, but it's also contagious rejoicing. When you start praising the Lord, it's inherent. I've watched it take place. Other people are going to say, man, I want to praise the Lord. I, actually, I'm grateful for something God's done in my life as well. We said at camp, I'm, I don't know why I'm reminded of this, but I've been to camp many times and, and in camp, um, you're, you're all sitting there in the dining room and you're all eating and, and all it takes is one person. Thank you for cooking the meal. And then what happens? Every table, every kid, thank you for cooking, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's contagious. It's catchy. And listen, when we praise the Lord and we say, thank God for what he's done in my life, people start to evaluate their own life and say, you know what? God's done something in my life as well. And I also want to thank the Lord for what he's done in my life. It's a contagious rejoicing that other people, even if, if God hasn't worked recently, you know what? I can be glad for what God's done in your life. And when you're praising the Lord for something, I'm like, man, praise the Lord. I'm glad for you. That makes me happy that God is working in your life. And, and I can praise the Lord about that. And it's a contagious praise. As we see this promise of celebration in all of those prayers, he said, I will rejoice and I will tell others and, and other people are going to rejoice and be joyful and shout. And, and, my, and, and he ends with, and my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long, where there's no end to it. He's just going to continue being grateful and praising the Lord. And so I hope that's helpful to you. We see a threefold prayer. We see the plea for consideration. We see a prayer for condemnation. But we see a promise for celebration as well. And we can thank God for many things that he does in our life. And we ought to thank him as we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts. I pray that you'd encourage and help and strengthen each and every believer tonight. 
And God, the truth of the matter is, even in some of our worst problems, we still have a great amount to praise you for. God, I pray that you would help us to be grateful. Help us to recognize what you have done for us. Help us to praise you in the congregation. Help us to praise your name before a world that is lost and dying. And God, help us to praise. Help that praise to be contagious even to others. God, that they would catch the idea of praising you and being thankful for what you've done for us. God, I pray that you'd bless each and every person tonight. Speak to hearts as only you can. Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, the altar's open. Maybe you just want to thank God for his goodness to you. Maybe he's blessed you. And boy, what a great opportunity just to come to the altar and say, God, thank you. You can pray there in your seat. You can kneel at the altar. Maybe, maybe there's some affliction that you want to pray about. Whatever the need, the altar's open.